You know, one of the things that um, always strikes me and I've, I ponder more than anything else, I think that different people ponder different things. I don't ponder the great wonders of the world, but I would say to you that one of the great wonders spiritually that I have is I just, I don't know how people make it through this life without a confident belief and trust in Jesus. I mean, when you and I face difficulties and circumstances, which we all do, that we don't seem to have an answer for, or problems that don't have easy solutions, which I found that uh, as I've gotten older, there are a lot of problems that don't have easy solutions. And what is so uh, monumental to my spiritual life and my growth and my vitality and my sense of reasoning and sense of, you know, coasting with the waves is my ability to rely on my God who I put my faith and trust into. And if you're here this morning and you don't have that, it stresses me out. And if you've not had a season of life in which you face great difficulty and you don't know Jesus, I'm very grateful that you've not experienced difficulty. Because when difficulty comes, I want you to be ready. When difficulty comes, I I want you not to trust in yourself. I want you to lean on an everlasting arm that never, ever wilders or fades or diminishes. Because I believe that God's greatest moments are when we are at our worst. Whether the worst is a result of our own sin or whether the worst is a result of just life happening to us. I pray that you will have the confidence and the fortitude and the strength to let go and to rest in the assurance and capacity of God because he is more than capable and more than able to take your needs and your hurts and your fears and your bewilderment and your stress upon himself. You know, for different people, scriptures mean different things. When I was a child, my favorite scripture passage was John three sixteen. Why? Because it's the first verse that I memorized, and I thought that was cool. I had memorized the scripture. For those who have kidney stones, I'm not going to point anybody out, but those who have suffered with kidney stones, their favorite passage of scripture will be Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and it came to pass. It's interesting. Oh, not true. Lord, help me in my dilemma. My God, my God, my self forsaken me. Um, You know, but it's interesting because in different seasons of life, we gravitate to, to certain scriptures. And, you know, we, you know, us sitting comfortably in this room today, as we peer into the pages of God's word, which from the beginning to end is a love letter to us, inviting us to join him in his story, we encounter difficulties in scripture. And those difficulties are the complex personalities. I mean, the, the personalities that we are introduced into the Bible 
are vast. And it's interesting because in every church I've served, there's been a Judas. In every church that I've served, uh, there's been an Elijah. In every church that I've served, uh, there's been countless. But here's the thing that I would say. The rarity in the church is to see Jesus. Let that sink in. This is his home. This is his place. We need to be seeing Jesus more and more. And the church should be an extension of Christ in the world and in the community. And every week that we meet, we leave here with the assurance that today we have seen the Lord. That's the goal of worship. The Israelites had faced great difficulties. Oppression, slavery, problems as they intertwined with other religions and other faiths. It's sort of like the culture today. We struggle. We have an identity crisis. And this spiritual identity crisis lends itself for us to ask, who am I? But not only who am I, whose am I? The prophet Jeremiah is called, just like any prophet, to deliver the word of the Lord. And there is encouragement here, and we're just going to look at the second and third verse of Jeremiah 31. But it's introduced, this is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. And the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine all the great things that God can do. I know in my own life, in the four decades that I've been alive, there have been many opportunities where I kind of cried out to God, and I would say, confessionally, I have not known suffering. Uh, I just confess that. I I mean, people around me have died. I've had close friends that have died, but I've truly not known suffering, I I don't believe. Uh, I think that, and here's what I would say about that. That kind of scares me because I wonder sometimes, because suffering comes to all of us in some way, shape, or form. And the question becomes is, are we going to be defined by the circumstances that we face, or are we going to trust in the God who's in the midst of those circumstances with us? And it was a pivotal time for the Israelites because they were facing heartache on every front. They've been oppressed. They've been enslaved. And it was hard for them to imagine what God could do for them. Some of us in this room may have had those points where we've said in some way, shape, or form, I just don't know how I'm going to make it. Maybe we mean I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet financially. Or we may be faced with a situation with our children our grandchildren, or our spouse, and we're concerned about them. Sometimes those that are closest to us, we find the most difficult to be honest and transparent and authentic with because we have to live with them. Sometimes 
we're oblivious to the very things in our own household. But we cry out and we say, God, I just, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. God, I don't, I don't understand why you're allowing this to happen. God, why do you allow the suffer, the, those who, who are suffering, why, why, do you, why do you allow those who are followers of you to suffer? It seems to be more than, than others. Why does calamity come upon those who at least look like they're your closest followers and yet those who are furthest away from you seem to be having their heyday? God, it's just not fair. How many of you ever said that? God, it's just not fair. Well, the Israelites were the same way. They were a lot like us. In fact, I would argue the Israelites were Baptists. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years, people. I've been in the Baptist church for 43, 44 years, 43 years. I forgot my age. See, I'm already going into my senior moment. I've been doing this for 40 years in the church for over 40 years. All the churches are the same. I've never met more complaining people than those in the church. We're like the Israelites. God, why didn't you bring us to this point? God provides for us the things that we need and we complain because we want something else. God gives us a buffet and we get frustrated because what we wanted on the buffet is not there. The Israelites were a miserable, complaining people. Now, I don't know about you. How many of you like to be around misery? I don't. How many of you like to be around complaining people? I don't. I don't think you do either. And if you say, well, it doesn't bother me, maybe that's because maybe you're the complainer. I'm not sure. (laughs) That was my jab. But it's hard for us to imagine all that God can do in verse 1. And it's particularly hard for us to imagine when we've been beaten down. It's hard for us to imagine how good things can be when we are experiencing gut-wrenching pain. And that could be physical pain or emotional pain, either by decisions that we've made or decisions that have been made towards us. It's hard for us to imagine a better day when there's desolation all around us. And, and I'm going to tell you this, and I've, I've heard many of people over the years, and I think sometimes the greatest agony is the agony we can't fix. Particularly when we have a child that's gone wayward. I've met with mom and dad and, and dozens over the years. He'll say, I just wish that I could get to them. I wish that I could make this decision for them. And you know that they're making a decision that's not going to be in their best interest. You know that they're making a decision that's not going to lead them to a better place. And yet you have to sit back, pray for them, stand in the gap for them. Sometimes those stories end better than we anticipated. But sometimes those stories become our life's worst nightmare. And what I would encourage you, as I've encouraged dozens and countless others of people, never give up on people. Always stand in the gap. Sometimes people are so overwhelmed by their circumstances 
and their problems that they can't see the goodness of God. And when we're going through a good season, it's important that we use that good season to speak encouragement onto others. This world, if there's one thing this world maximizes on, it's discouragement. That should never be an ideal for the church. I believe that we need to create a contagious environment where people feel encouraged, where people can come and experience the redemption of Jesus, where people don't have to pretend, where when we ask them, are you having a good day, they can be honest and they can say, well, not really. I've had a bad week. I've had a horrible week. And then they can begin to express how their horrible week and what's been involved, what entails where they are in that moment. That's where God wants the church to be. And so I want you to imagine, I want you to look in Scripture, and I want you to be able to see with a clear mind and a clear heart that God can do amazing things in your story today. No matter where you are. Whether it's sunshiny or whether it's raining, whether it's cloudy, whether you're happy or sad, whether you're despondent or you're invigorated with the power of God, today can be a great day. When life is so volatile that peace seems like a figment of our imagination, that is the moment that God wants to speak. That is the moment and can be the moment of some of the greatest spiritual breakthroughs that our journeys can ever know. The Israelites were in such a place, it was hard for them to imagine all that God could do. But secondly, sometimes God's favor means that we embrace the wilderness The Israelites were not happy. Remember when they were taken in bondage in Egypt, and we'll go back and and look at this. When they were taken in bondage in Egypt, they complained, okay? They did not like being slaves. Who would? And so they complain and complain, and God gives them a leader in Moses, and Moses delivers his people through God, or actually God delivers his people through the person of Moses, And when they're led into the wilderness, you know, God has said, I'm going to give you a land. And this is the promised land that they've been been foretold and a promised land that they wanted so much for themselves. But they complain and complain and complain and complain. And what I'm here to tell you is that in order for them to get to the promised land, there had to be a time of preparation. And that preparation was the wilderness. The wilderness has some interesting illustrations too because Jesus also went into the wilderness. And when he went into the wilderness, Jesus was tempted. But look what happens after that wilderness experience with Jesus. The power of God is unleashed. His ministry changes the world. Jesus did not allow his wilderness to define his future ministry. But the wilderness was a very important preparation time because in the wilderness, Jesus was challenged by the very understanding of who God was to him.
some of you this morning, some of us this morning, may be in the midst of the wilderness. And we may be in dry land. And the dry land's okay as long as we have the wake of the ocean and we can picture a lounge chair with a nice little umbrella, nice little breeze, kids playing in the sand while we're just sitting in the shade watching all the people on the beach. If we're single, we're watching for the next hottie that walks by our way. And we enjoy the beauty that God has created. If you're married, you're making sure that you give your children, or if you have children, you're making sure that you give your children their independence, so to speak, but always with a mindset that you're going to call them in from the deep water. If you're married, you're going to sit on the beach enjoying one another's company in a nice little oasis. I mean, for most of you, you would say the beach is my oasis. Some of you would say the mountains. But here's the thing. It's all about perspective. I'm not really one that really enjoys the beach, though I go to the beach every year. I don't like sand. I don't like sand between my toes. I don't like sand going against my hair. You can't even have a good hair day uh, at the beach, okay? There's nothing positive. I don't do waves because they're jellyfish. I don't do waves because I don't like salt water and sharks. Just don't. I mean, the beach, uh, you know, just, ugh, it's just, ugh. And, you know, let me help you out here for the teenagers in the room and for the adults that are not married, because if you're married, you shouldn't be doing this. When you're looking on the beach for those attractive specimens of humanity, they're few and far between. I'm going to even go a little bit further with that. I don't remember the last time I saw someone in a bikini that didn't want to make me throw up. I'm just saying. Thank God beauty's only skin deep. The beach can be my wilderness or it can be my oasis. Now, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you the beach is her favorite place. She has begged, begged, begged. Can we just have, can we just go have an oceanfront property for the week? So we're doing that this year. And I'm going to get up every day. And because I'm paying for oceanfront real estate, by gosh, I'm going to be on that beach every day from sunup to sundown under my umbrella, reading a book or doing whatever. I'm going to get my money's worth. And I'm determined. I have a plan. My plan is to enjoy this week and to view it as an oasis rather than a wilderness. The Israelites were in the wilderness of experience. In the wilderness, we have to trust God more. In the wilderness, we have to believe. We have to get tighter into one another. And see, here's the thing. We were created to be in relationship with each other. Several years ago, I realized this, uh, th this and this is, this is not good for those in ministry. Let me be a little bit transparent. See, I think part of ministry is being transparent. Part of being a pastor of ministry is being transparent with you. I realized that there was a problem in my life when my closest friend was 2,000 miles away. 
That's a problem. Because when your closest friend is 2,000 miles away, and for those in ministry, Chris will understand this, Leanne will understand this, Carrie will understand this. When you're in ministry, you can be friends, but only so much. And what I've realized in ministry is this. When I have been transparent, sometimes it's caused me the greatest heartache because people were not ready to hear what I wanted to say or hear what I wanted to confess or hear where my journey had taken me. Ladies and gentlemen, there's not a man or woman or child in this room who confessionally does not have things they wish that they could erase from their memory. And though they have received forgiveness from God because they've repented and confessed it, sometimes the greatest wilderness of life is forgiving self. Of our thoughts, of our decisions, of our actions. Sometimes the wilderness that we're facing is a wilderness from the outside we look normal. From the outside, we look like we have it together. And Baptists, we're very good at it. We're good at faking it. And while we're smiling on Sunday morning or we're smiling on Wednesday night or we're smiling in our community on a day-to-day -day basis, we're struggling to make those muscles work. Because what's going on on the inside with perhaps a diagnosis or what's going on on the inside with perhaps doubts that we're facing? Or what's happening on the inside with the stress of life and the season of life that we're in? Our wilderness can be one of the greatest opportunities for breakthrough so that we can be unleashed to become the people that God has always designed us to be. God has never designed the church to be pew dwellers. God, from the very beginning, has designed the church to be a contagious body that is trying to replicate itself into a world that is lost, into a world that is oppressed, into a world that is sinful, into lives that are so far removed from the experience of God. That's our role. Our role is to speak to the needs of people where they are. And so on every Sunday morning, even when we are the most secure that we can be in our relationship with Christ, we are in need of two things. We're in need of others and we're in need of Him. There should never be a day, there should never be a moment, there should never be a nanosecond where we are not fully dependent on the sufficiency of God in our moment. Now, why did the Israelites spend so much time in the wilderness? That is one of the theological questions and spiritual questions that I pose to the Old Testament. It's one of the spiritual questions I've posed for my own life. God, why, why have you allowed me to spend so much time in what I considered the wilderness? And this, I'm speaking of, of a past experience. And you know what God's word was because, Todd, you were not prepared for the promised land. 
And I want you to think about that. If you're in the wilderness today, have you ever thought, maybe I'm not ready for the promised land? Maybe I need the wilderness because the wilderness forces me to trust in God more. The wilderness forces me to rely on God for my vitality and my food supply. The wilderness forces me to rely on His greatness. And in the wilderness, I recognize just how finite I am. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, when we are on a spiritual mountaintop, we like God. But most of us are coasting without a reliance on him. But when we're in the valley, and when we're in the valley longer than a day or two or three or a month or a year or a decade, there's something that happens in that wilderness. And spiritually, we can go either way. We can grow cynical and bewildered and give up or we can choose we can choose to lean in the moment to prepare ourselves for what is to come now let me help you here because what is to come is important because when you look at scripture for those that are followers of Jesus we know the end and the end is much better than our beginning. The end is much better than our middle. So if you're going through a season, and that's what it is, it's a season, it will pass. And it will pass when God is ready to lead you to a better place and a better promised land. Make no mistake, he's not forgotten you, he's not forgotten me, he's not forgotten us. He's there in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our plight, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our agony. But ladies and gentlemen, it's in the wilderness where God provides us all that we need. It is in the wilderness where we are tempted the most. And the ability to resist the temptations that we face in the wilderness lead us to be far more empowered to serve him as we discharge our ministry. You say, I don't, I'm not really called to the ministry. Yes, you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to the ministry. In fact, uh, I'm going to say this. Um, I used to print it on here. Maybe we've gotten rid of it. Oh, no, we haven't. Contact information. I'm glad it doesn't say, you know, ministers on staff. You know, you'll see my name there. You'll see Carrie's name. You'll see Becky, Chris, Leanne, and Linda. As I've said, we really should list every member. Every member's a minister. The question is, are you discharging your duties as an agent of God and impacting your world where God has placed you? If you're in the wilderness and complaining, step one is to shut up. That's my words, but it's pure and simple. Just shut up about it. Quit complaining about your situation. Accept where you are and trust in God. And then you'll be amazed at how your perspective changes. 
Because I don't know about you. Can anybody have the ability in this room to work themselves up in a tizzy? I, let me see hands. I just want to see confessional. You know, it's, listen, this mind is a powerful tool. It is also, it can be one of our worst enemies. Listen, I can get worked up. I mean, this little mind, this, this little voice, sometimes there's the voice of God and sometimes there's the voice of Todd. And though they rhyme, they're not always the same. Okay? And sometimes this voice that's going on in my head tells me things that the Spirit of God would not want me to hear. We need to be so in tune with God that we get better and better and better at discerning what is God's word to me and what's my word to me. Or what's God's word to me and what's somebody else's word to me. Because I'm going to tell you, in this room, we probably have 300, 350 people here today. There are 350 opinions about what I need to do tomorrow. It's just reality. And because we're Baptists, let's multiply that by three. Okay? If we're always concerned about meeting everybody's opinion about what we should do, we're never going to accomplish anything. So I'm going to suggest that you carefully consider whom you allow to speak into your life. Be selective with that. Everybody might have a word for you. Very few need to have a word in you. In my life, I'm not going to go through the litany and because some of you will be like, I want to know who does he allow to speak in his life. I'll tell you one person I allow to speak in my wife. Life is my wife. My wife, if she says it, that settles it. Period. And I say that with all admiration. And I'm not saying that, that she can't be wrong because she can but when she speaks, I'm listening. Seek a spouse that can do that. And if you don't have a spouse that you've been able to do that with, then you need to work together in your relationship because every spouse should have the ability to speak into their other's life. And then you need to prayerfully concern and discern who God is putting in your path. The other thing I'll say is this. It'd be advice to the Israelites. It'd be advice to you and to us. Don't select people that are always going to tell you what you want to hear. We have a tendency to do that. Select people or allow people that have differing opinions and views to speak. Kind of stir things up in your life a bit. Poke at this or poke at that or challenge this or challenge that. Why? Because together when we are studying God's Word and together as we are looking at Scripture, together as we are doing life together, we sharpen each other. Why? Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look at me and how far spiritually I've come, but that we can be unleashed to do the will of God that He's always wanted to accomplish from the very beginning. And the reason we perpetually stay in a state of the wilderness is because we're not growing and we've not reached to the point that we can deal with what the promised land brings.
And finally, I want to say this. Only God can bring the rest that we need. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 2 and 3, the people who survived the sword, there's going to be battle. There was battle. People are going to lose their lives in this situation. They will find favor in the wilderness, not favor in the promised land. And then he says, I will come to give rest to Israel. And then I want you to look what Jeremiah goes back to. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Why, listen, why did he draw on the past? Because our experience of God and their experience of God in the past can help them discern and to see how he's moving in the present, which will lead us to a greater understanding of what he wants to do and unleash through us in the future. Because God's greatness will always shine brighter while we are in the midst of our wilderness. Because in the wilderness, we have to trust him. In the wilderness, we don't have the answers. In the wilderness, it's not based on our strength. In the wilderness, it's not based on our fortitude. In the wilderness, it's not based on who is a friend of ours. In the wilderness, we have to rely on God. And one of the things that I've done in my spiritual walk is I quit praying, and I quit this several years ago. I quit praying that, dear God, would you remove me from the wilderness? I prayed, God, will you change my perspective? And will you help me see what I can do in the wilderness for the people who are with me in the wilderness so that we can be agents of change for a world that we've been called to reach? See, evangelism is not something that we merely do. Evangelism is something that we are, that we embody. God's grace is messy. God's love is overwhelmingly plentiful. It is his kindness towards us. It is his steadfast love that's been continual from the very beginning that we often have to be reminded of that helps us we're in the midst of our wilderness. Now, I don't know where you are today. I mean, I know that you're at First Baptist Church. But just because you're here doesn't mean that you're here. Just because you're here doesn't mean that your Monday through Saturday has been great. You may have had a horrible week. Uh, let me say this. You know, th- you know, this happens to me occasionally in the community. Yesterday, and I'm telling my mother-in-law this, yesterday I went to, to a restaurant to get something uh, to take home, to bring home for dinner. And uh, I stood in line. There was a crowd of people there. And uh, I went to pay, and this lady behind me, uh, they couldn't find my order at the register. The lady behind me said, well, did you place the order? Well, yes, ma'am, I did. Why'd you order? I told him what I ordered. Uh, because she, she didn't work there. At first, I thought she worked there. 
Um, and uh, she goes, well, you're in my way. Oh, well, uh, you can go ahead. Well, the lady at the counter said, no, I've already got your ring up. Your total's, you know, $27, whatever it was. And uh, she goes, why don't you get the out of my way? Just because you didn't get your fried chicken, what's up with that? Now, I laughed at it. I was bewildered at it. But that woman has a story. We all have a story. We are all wounded storytellers. I'm convinced that probably, probably, she didn't have a good Saturday. And I'm willing to bet that her Monday through Friday wasn't much better either. What do you do in that moment? In our flesh? Well, I'll tell you something, lady. <laughs> I'm going to unleash the power of God on you. You know? Yeah. <laughs> or we can be begin thinking. What do we do when there are people in our community that say such things, who act in irrational ways on things that, frankly, don't matter? It tells us this. There are far more people in the wilderness than believe they're in the wilderness. And there are far more people who need the act of God in their lives than are willing to recognize it. And so our role as agents of change is to use every moment and every opportunity and every situation to attempt to address the brokenness that's around us. And I'm going to tell you this. If you don't know that there's brokenness here in this city, just park in our parking lot on a sunny day, not on a rainy day, sunny day, and walk downtown. In the length of time that you will walk from here, and it'll be eight short minutes if you, well, it'll be three short minutes if you're walking with me, but eight short minutes for most of us as so we walk downtown, you will encounter brokenness. There are city shop owners that need Jesus. There are people that are walking the streets in our community. Yeah, we have street people. We have mentally ill people. They're on our streets. Jesus created them too. So you may not be in a good place today, but I want you to know this. There are others that are far and far more deeper and dark circumstances than what we are. We need the light of Christ to shine in our midst. We need to remember God's faithfulness and his steadfast love towards us. We need not to pray ourselves out of our wilderness or out of our situation. We simply need to accept where we are. Lean in. Spend some time in personal reflection. And ask this question. And this is what I'll close with. God what can I do in this moment? What can I see in this moment? Who do I need to address in this moment to shine a light 
in the midst of the darkness. And we need to pray, God, I'm so sorry for making my life the center of the universe. Father, thank you for what you've given to me. Thank you for the relationships you've given to me. Thank you for the church. By the way, if you're not a member somewhere at a church, a local church, plug in. And here's what I'd say to you visitors this morning, both high and low. We would love to have you at First Baptist Church. We would. But our goal here is not to bring everybody into this place. Our goal is to unleash people in the power of God to serve, to discover their gifts, and to plant seeds. If he leads you here to First Baptist, we'd love to have you. But if he leads you to another Bible-believing, God-centered, Christ-centered congregation, go and flourish where he is calling you to. But be his light. Be his light.